So the reading this morning is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. As the crowd was passing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Hi everyone, good to see you all. Uh, welcome to church today, nice to, nice to be with you um, this morning. I'm really looking forward to uh, this series, looking at walking with Jesus, also looking um, into uh, the next month, Mission March, we're going to be looking at, uh, at God's work locally and um, across the world, we've got a little map on the wall over there, you might have seen that, um, you get a point later if you can tell me what's missing, but uh, don't spend the whole sermon looking at that, just uh, <laughs> one thing fell off, you tell me what it is. Anyway, well, welcome along. My name's Murray. Um, if you've not met me before, I'm part of the team here. And um, you might be feeling it. We're at a kind of a strange moment uh, for our church. Um, I'm feeling the strangeness. If you've been around a long time, you'll be feeling the strangeness too in some kind of ways. If you're new, I hope you don't think we're too strange. Um, we're just going, we're, you know, a regular church family going through um, a time of transition and change. Um, you might, that's kind of the, the, the key words of 2020. You, you know, if we're honest, transition, change, although for the last few weeks it's been particularly significant for us as a church family, hasn't it? Uh, over the last few weeks, Raj has been kind of giving us his last words, looking at the last words uh, from many different biblical writers, uh, and um, in a sense, kind of his aim was to give us our marching orders going forward. Keep the main thing the main thing, remember the battle, live for the last day. But as, as he leaves, where do we kind of go from that? Where do we go? Where do we look to? Well, we don't 
look to Raj, don't look to me, don't look to any of us particularly, that's never been the point. The point always has been to point towards Jesus and we look towards Him. We're not quite ready for that slide yet, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, back to the, yeah, thank you. Uh, we're going to look towards Jesus. Jesus kind of has been, He must continue to be uh, our primary leader, our primary teacher. So we're going to keep looking to Jesus. Sound good? Are happy with that? Good, I think so. Uh, today I want to think about our relationship uh, with Jesus. Now when I say relationship with Jesus, what does that trigger for you? Is that auto going? Is it okay now? We want to go back. Sorry, just getting it sorted out. One more slide back, please. Thank you. And if it's auto-triggering, there's a little setting there you can change in the edit. But I shouldn't be doing that. But if it is, that's what's going on. Anyway, speaking of triggering, uh, what does the, uh, when you think about the word relationship with Jesus, what does that kind of uh, trigger uh, for you? You hear people say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But you think of relationship, you kind of might think of some sort of a romantic attachment, you know, those two, they're in a relationship. Some of you might be really comfortable saying, yeah, Jesus, I love Jesus. Some of you may struggle to use the love word for those even closest to you. As Christians, what's our relationship with Jesus like? How do we talk about it? Is he friend, brother, father? You know, those Christian songs mocked as Jesus is my boyfriend songs, you know, those ones? Is Jesus teacher, leader, captain, king, professor, philosopher? What, what, is, what is he? Are we, are we students of Jesus? Are we friends? Are we family? Are we fans? Now, it's got elements of lots of those things in our relationship with Jesus, but none of them really quite sums it up. So what I want to spend the next um, few weeks doing uh, together is looking a bit more closely at, at those who first spent time with Jesus, the first of Jesus' followers. We're going to see their relationship, if you like, with Jesus. More importantly, we're going to see what Jesus calls them to do, what He calls them to do, who Jesus calls them to be. And thankfully, they're just ordinary people who've encountered this pretty extraordinary bloke. And also, thankfully, they're pretty slow learners, so we'll be able to relate with them well. And these, um, these first followers, what were they called? What do we call them? The disciples, that's, that's right, the disciples. So we're going to spend a few weeks looking at these disciples. We're going to read through bits of the story of Jesus, recorded for us by the, the doctor and historian Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see that perhaps the best word for our relationship with Jesus is that word, is that word disciple. The first followers were disciples. Perhaps we can be too. The first disciples were those who walked with Jesus to become like Jesus. And that's what we are called to as well, to walk with Jesus, to become like Jesus. Now, why is this important? Why bother with this series? Why is this a helpful phrase? Uh, it's helpful because it shows us where we're heading. What's the goal? To become like Jesus. I'm going to argue for that next week, so just take it for granted for now. We want to be like Jesus. And our, our aim, right, it's not, good enough to, not to be good enough to get into God's good books. That's not our, our aim. No, we're called to be like Jesus. Uh, on the other hand, we don't say, oh, Jesus will forgive or whatever, it doesn't matter how we live. No, the call is to be like Jesus. The destination is Christ-likeness. And how do we get there? Well, we, we, the way we walk towards that goal is by walking through life with Jesus. Not just go off by yourself with your Bible and learn as much as you can, or try really hard to be like Jesus. 
Those first disciples, they were called to, to come follow me, to walk with Jesus as he walks with us. That's what we're called to as well. Uh, we're called to life in all its fullness, the best life, as we walk with Jesus. That's where we're kind of uh, going in the next few weeks, um, how we can walk with Jesus even today. Well, what's a disciple? Now, Jesus didn't really invent this concept of disciple. You might have only heard of the, the term disciple in reference to Jesus, but, but any, any ancient kind of teacher or philosopher or, or prophet, they might have had their disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Probably Isaiah had disciples in a way. Uh, but, but this kind of learning environment, it, didn't, it wasn't a classroom. It wasn't go read the book and come back. No, no, these guys lived with and ate with and walked together with their teacher. Disciple would learn to see the world like their teacher sees the world. They'd learn to do and to think and be like their teacher. And these days, a more, maybe a more common word for us would be apprentice, um, learning the life and craft of, of your teacher, your master. <clears throat> That's how it worked with Jesus. That'll be our path too. So, as we start looking at this idea of discipleship, let's dive into that first moment where where, where people start walking with Jesus for the first time, where they become the first disciples of Jesus. Okay, the scene is this, right? First century Israel, of course, they don't know it's first century, do they? Um, they just think another, another day in Israel. Uh, the Romans are in charge, yes, but at least we're in our own land. Things have, could be better, but they've been a lot worse. A regular day in Israel. But word in the street, right, there's this new spiritual teacher who's, who's coming around. He's kind of emerged from the wilderness. You read about that in Luke chapter 4. And he's come out to start his ministry. And this is not kind of a typical first year out of more college ministry that goes on here. Um, he's been uh, teaching in synagogues. It's gotten pretty heated pretty quickly. There's already been one failed mob assassination attempt on him. That happens pretty quick. He's got the nerve, right, to say that these Old Testament scriptures point towards him like he's the Messiah or something. People are saying, oh, he's, he's driven out demons. He's healed sick people. And this Jesus movement is gathering steam in first century Israel. And we pick up the story. There's a crowd gathered around him by Lake Gennesaret. We usually call that the Sea of Galilee. It's called that elsewhere. And, and the prophet there, the prophet Jesus, needs some help. He needs some help. And Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says that they were pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word. Pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word. They know, right, when Jesus speaks, it's God's words to them. They see Him as a prophet. Maybe more than a prophet. Who knows? But even a prophet needs his own personal space, right? He wants to teach, but the crowd is just squashing him like parents at their kids' dance recital at school. You know, that, that kind of squash going on. They can't see a thing. Jesus needs some space. And he looks around. Ah, a couple of boats over there. Back from their long nights fishing. Perfect. He hops in one, belongs to a bloke called Simon, and asks him to push out into the water. Gets a bit of space, sits down in the boat, starts teaching. Now, this never ceases to amaze me, right? all the miracles, how do people hear him from the boat? We spend all this time with these little kind of microphones and stuff. Anyway, it works for him. I'm jealous, but it works for him. He sits there teaching from the boat and the crowd is listening. Now, it's important to notice, right, Jesus hasn't picked a random boat, any old boat lying around. Um, he knows Simon already. If you look back through Luke, you'll see that he's been to his house. He's been to his house. 
Um, he's healed his mother-in-law from a life-threatening fever. Read that just a little bit further on in chapter 4. So he knows Simon, he knows who he's talking to, and Simon's already seen Jesus in action. Well, fair enough, you've healed my mother-in-law. I get, of course I can use my boat. I guess I owe you one. Be my guest. I've been out all night. I'm pretty tired, but sure. Use my boat. That's fine. So Jesus teaches, but as he finishes teaching, he turns to Simon. He's got another thing to ask of him. Verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. All right, Simon thinks. Using the boat was one thing. That was okay. But going fishing? Man, we're exhausted. We've been fishing all night. What's, what's the point? We didn't catch anything all night when we're actually meant to be able to catch fish, right? <laughs> we're not going to catch anything in broad daylight. But you know what? There's something about this Jesus guy, right? He tells demons to get lost and they do. You tell sickness to go away and, and it goes away. So if you want to go fishing, sure, let's go fishing. You're the boss, whatever. You know, the boys are never going to let us down, let this, let this down, taking fishing advice from a carpenter. You know, this is just never going to... Oh, <laughs> what's that? What's, what's that in, in the nets? Hang on, Wh- where did all these fish come from? <laughs> Look at all these fish, it's amazing. I should take advice from carpenters more often, shouldn't I? This is the best. Oh, hang on, it's not the best. This is not the best. This is, this is too much. The nets aren't going to hold. Hey, hey, Andrew, go get James and John. Tell them to come over. Help us. We're, we're going to sink this boat. Verse 7, they signal to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They come and they fill both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, you know, I've seen this. would be pretty impressed, yeah? Be pretty, that's a lot of fish. It's pretty amazing. But for Simon, it's much more than that. It's much deeper than that, right? Because he's fished these waters. He's caught these kind of fish all his life. This is his thing. Only a fisherman like Simon would really understand that what happened just then was impossible. I'm sure Simon was impressed, right, when he, his mother-in-law was healed. I only assume he was grateful. No reason to think not. But this miracle, right? This catch of fish. Simon gets it. Simon gets it more than, than, than any of us would get it, I, I think. He gets it. I'm in the presence of something amazing. Who has the power to do something like this? What is he, what is he doing here? Oh, man. What am I doing here with him? What am I doing here with him? And he's exhausted, he's overwhelmed. And, and he responds, probably doesn't realize, but he responds just like the prophets of old as they come into the presence of God himself. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so are James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. I wonder if you could relate to Simon at this point. I wonder if you've had those kind of moments yourself. Those moments where you're just so aware of your own rubbish, your own issues, the ways that you kind of disappoint and fall short. You disappoint yourself, disappoint others. 
Let alone that, when you consider God's holiness and perfectness and goodness, you see in, a, in, in high definition your own sinfulness. You had those moments? Simon sees it in himself in that very moment. Now, seeing a whole lot of fish might not do that for you, but did that for Simon. Did that for Simon. I'm in the presence of someone special. I'm in the presence of someone holy. We should not be here together. <laughs> I'm not worthy to be here with you. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man, Lord. You see how Simon's gone from calling him master, just kind of a you know, nice term of respect. But here it's, it's Lord. He sees authority. He sees ownership. You've got authority over the fish of the sea. You've got authority over me. I'm a sinful, humble fisherman. Go away from me. I know many of us can relate to having these kinds of moments of introspection as we compare ourselves to the goodness and power of God and we see our own sin. What happens for Simon? Jesus reaches down and says to him, Yes, you are sinful, but with a bit of work, some focus, some discipline, one day you'll be worthy of me. Is that what he says? Sort yourself out? No, he says, yes, you are sinful, but I'm going to let that go. Don't worry about it. Chill, man. Let's eat some fish. Is that what he says? Don't worry about it. No, Jesus says this. It's much more powerful. Don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, you'll be catching people. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. So much in these few words. Don't be afraid. Well, of course he's afraid. He's in the presence of God himself. He probably should be more afraid if he realized that. But Jesus can say, don't be afraid. He can say that to a sinner in the presence of God. Don't be afraid. You know why? Because Jesus came to deal with that fear, to deal with that problem. Yes, you are a sinner, Simon, but don't be afraid. I've come to deal with that. Even though you're a sinner, I want you on my team because me coming to deal with this problem, me coming to deal with this sin, this is good news and more people need to hear it too. No more catching fish. From now on, we catch people. We catch them with this good news that gives them not death like a fish, but, but life. Now, Jesus didn't say all that in that moment. Um, poor Simon Peter wouldn't have understood it if he had. But that's what Jesus is calling him to in that moment. Come be my disciple Come be part of my work. Sinner though you are, come walk with me. That escalates quickly, doesn't it, for Simon? Simon's the one who eventually becomes called Peter, uh, if that's helpful for you to know. Uh, but firstly, you know, hey, hey, can I borrow your boat? To, hey, let's go fishing, even though you're tired. <laughs> to, I want you on my team, follow me. Put yourself in Simon Peter's shoes as they land back on the shore, and, and, and he looks around, right? He surveys what's in front of him. The biggest catch of fish he's ever seen. Imagine what they'll get at the market for that amount of fish. He looks at the boat, his team, his, his life's work. He sees probably his, his, his dad, the hired men there. Perhaps he was in line for the family business. I'm not entirely sure. But his job, his life, his livelihood, his comfort zone, he looks at all that and he looks at Jesus. And it's a no-brainer to him. Verse 11 they brought their boats to land, left everything, and followed him. I think it's so hard to imagine making that decision. Can you imagine making that decision in that moment? 
If it was you in the story, what would you be looking at in front of you? Not boats and fish, I imagine. What's your life's work? What's your treasure? Can you even imagine making that decision in that moment? Walking away from it all? Guys, for me, th- these moments, these moments of humanity, I think, really, uh, these really make the gospel story compelling to me, I think. I mean, you can list miracles, right? You can tell stories about how amazing Jesus is, and that's great, but you hear a miracle story a few times, you kind of get used to it. The wow kind of wears off. We get used to a guy walking on water, or feeding 5,000, or a miraculous catch of fish. Um, we're talking to, I was talking to Rachel, our kids pastor. She said that it's, it's just as you teach kids again that you remember the wow of those moments. They remind you how amazing that is. But, but for you and me, these miracles can get normal. Strange, but they can. They get normal. But when I see a guy like Simon Peter, who could have been just like me, when I see him do something like this, it just gives me the chills. They brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. What must it have been like to stand there in the presence of Jesus? Can you imagine? What raw power would you, would you sense? What unfiltered goodness, perfect truth, all wrapped up in a guy that could be your brother. What it must have been like to see Jesus face to face. To suddenly have your own conscience kind of ripped bare as it was for, for Simon, to feel naked and exposed with your sin under a spotlight. And as you go to condemn yourself, go away, I'm a sinner. You hear those words, don't be afraid. I know you to the very core but don't be afraid. How compelling must Jesus have been in that very moment? Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and their mates James and John all up and followed him with no idea what they're walking into. No idea they're walking into the most significant three-year period in the history of the universe. In the backwaters of Israel, they were on center stage of world history, the epicenter of world history. The first disciples Walking with Jesus, no idea what was coming, no idea what they were getting themselves into, no idea that they were walking towards their own uh, personal transformation, that they were walking towards learning unconditional obedience. They were walking towards lives of service rather than being served. They were walking towards dying to themselves that they may have true life. They were walking with Jesus towards the cross, so they might walk with him in new life and into eternity. That's the path, friends. We want to be walking with the disciples over the next few weeks. That's our, those are our sermon topics over the next uh, several weeks and into Easter. And we're going to ask ourselves if, if we can be honestly committed to these same things. We're going to see Jesus asks his disciples to be committed to these things and he asks them of us too. Can we call ourselves disciples of Jesus? Are we committed to Continual transformation. We're committed to obedience. When God calls us to something, will we do it? Are we committed to lives of service rather than being served? Are we committed to dying to ourselves that we may have life in all its fullness? And can I, can I challenge you and encourage you over these next few weeks as we look at these questions to be really honest with yourself? And it's okay if you don't feel up to the challenge. Goodness knows I don't. I'm right there kneeling with Simon Peter. You're probably there with me too. We look at ourselves and say, what are you doing here with us, Jesus? What are you doing here with me? I'm a sinful person. But we kneel there, as Jesus says to Simon, he says to us as well, don't be afraid, I've got a plan for you. I have a plan for you, I want you on my team. 
It's okay for you to see your sin. It's a good thing to see that because it's part of the gospel. The good news is you see your sin clearly and you see the greatest saviour. You say, Jesus, come to deal with it. You might have noticed that over the last few weeks, weeks we've kind of built in this kind of bit more intentional confession into our service early on. Uh, you may have noticed that. That's because we want to see the shape of the gospel every week. Our great sin, our far greater saviour. Jesus who says, don't be afraid. Come follow me, come be on my team. Friends, this is just a kind of introductory thing as we launch into this series. But as we launch into it, I'm kind of a little worried. A little worried for us, a bit nervous, uh, for, for a couple of reasons. On one hand, I'm, think, I'm worried you'll look at these commitments and say, no, who wants that? And I get where you're coming from on that, right? Our culture looking at those lists of commitments would say, no way, that's toxic. What kind of life is that? Who's asking you to change and transform? Just be yourself, you're fine. Don't obey anyone except yourself. Look, it's okay to serve others as long as it's good for you. It makes you feel good. And dying to live, that makes no sense. And they're right, right? They're right. It makes no sense unless the gospel's true. Unless the gospel, which means good news, is actually good news. Unless Jesus is powerful and and good. Unless Jesus went to his own death and walked through it into new life and into eternity and gives us that life too, uh, they're right, unless that's true. I don't want to call you to a life of discipleship because, you know, you've just got to do it. I want to call you to it because it's better. It's actually good. Walking with Jesus is far better than not walking with Jesus. I mean, just look at the fishermen from Luke chapter 5. They walked away from the biggest jackpot they'd ever had, yeah? To follow Jesus. Why? Because it was better. If the gospel was about being, you know, uh, healthy and wealthy and wise, then this story would have, they would have got the fish and sold them and lived well and, and that would have been a great day. But the gospel is better news than that. Much better news than that. I hope you'll see that as we walk with Jesus over these next few weeks. So that's kind of one thing I'm worried about, that you'll think, it's too much, it's too hard, I can't do it. I want to show you that it's good and that with Jesus, this is how we walk. The other, the other thing I'm kind of worried about um, you is you look at this commitment, these lists of commitments and say, yeah, I can do that. I can change, I can obey, I can serve more, I can give up my life for the gospel more, I can, I can, I can. Because the truth is, you can't, not by yourself. If you can do all these things, then you can walk through life by yourself. You don't need Jesus. But the gospel says it's not what you do, it's what's been done for you. We are great sinners, we have a greater Saviour, we're called to walk closely with this Saviour. We don't change ourselves to be good enough to walk with Him, but as we walk with Him, we are changed. As we walk with Him, we are changed. 2 Corinthians 3 says that as we look at the glory of the Lord, as we look at the glory of Jesus, even through the Scriptures, at this distance, as we look at the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Not transforming ourselves so we can walk with Him, but by walking with Him, we are transformed. That's what we're going to head over the next little while. This is, this is who we are as Christians. This is who we are as this church. Ordinary people encountering the extraordinary God we see in the flesh in Jesus. And as we, we walk with Him, we're those on our knees saying, we're not worthy to encounter you, God. But we're the ones who are told, don't be afraid. I've come that you might walk with me now and into eternity. 
We're the ones who are told, follow me. I have a place for you in my family. I have a place for you on my team. We are those who, to whom Jesus says, come and be part of my work. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. You'll receive this good news, this good life, and be able to pass it on to others. Now, you might have noticed I've barely talked about this fishers of men bit in this story, this kind of call to mission. We'll kind of, we'll kind of get there eventually, not, not really today. Because I think we'll never, we'll never effectively call people to walk with Jesus unless we're walking with him ourselves. We can't make disciples unless we are disciples. Now, it's not saying you have to be perfect before you can tell anyone about Jesus. No, but we'll never call people to give their lives to Jesus if we haven't given our lives to Him ourselves. It's a radical call. Follow Jesus. That won't be compelling unless they see people actually following Jesus themselves. We can't make disciples unless we are disciples. Let's be people who, by God's grace, commit to walking with Jesus whatever it takes. Walking with Jesus for His glory, for our joy. I wonder if you'll be one who walks with Jesus. We're going to get into what that looks like over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it uh, for now. I'm going to pray briefly, then Ryan will lead us in some more reflection before I come back for um, the Lord's Supper. Uh, Father, we ask as we look at the disciples and think about your call on their life, that you would encourage us, that, you would, that we would hear your words to us that say, don't be afraid. Uh, you've come for our good and for our joy. The gospel is good news. Comfort our hearts with that. For those daunted by the call to be disciples, comfort us with the knowledge of Jesus' presence and His power. And we ask by Your grace that You keep transforming us from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.